Today's scripture comes from Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We are now in the second half of a sermon series on questions that Jesus asks. So as we look through the Gospels, uh, Jesus teaches his people in many, many different ways. Uh, sometimes he tells parables or these short stories that have deep points. Uh, other times he kind of almost just stands up in front and gives a sermon and, and, and people listen that way. But one of the ways that Jesus teaches his people is by asking really specific questions that get at much deeper things. Uh, so these are not always simple questions. These are not always easy questions. Sometimes they have kind of warm feelings inside, like why do you worry? Why are you afraid? And sometimes we get questions that are a little bit less, I don't know, Mr. Nice Jesus, and a, and a little more like uh, Mr. Blunt Jesus. <laughs> Uh, but also so important to look at, right? And this is one uh, for this text today that I think is so important for the church to look at, and it's this question of why do you look at the sawdust in your brother or sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Um, So we're going to dive into that uh, together here. Why don't we pray first? Lord God, we thank you for uh, this time. We thank you for this service already. Uh, what a blessing it has been. And uh, Now as we dive into your word, would you just open us up uh, to hear from you? Would you speak right to where we're at? Would you, would you cause this not to be some uh, intellectual time where we kind of think through all these things and then it just stays uh, left there in our brain, but we're able to have these, uh, this word from you sink deep down uh, within to the core of who we are? Lord, would you open us up to hear from you? In Jesus' name, amen. So preparing for this sermon sometime earlier this week, I I went on Google, I'll admit, and I Googled the word judgmental. And, And then I tried to have it narrow down to be like articles that we're talking about it, not just, I don't know, judgmental websites or something. Uh... But articles, and these are the, this is the list of article names I found, and I've, I found it somewhat interesting. So here it is. The first one I found was called, Are You a Judgy Judger? <laughs> Are You a Judgy Judger? The second one, Judgmental People and How to Stop Judging Others. Third one, Are You Addicted to Being Judgy? Top 10 comebacks to judgmental people. I, I stopped there. I could have dove into it. It intrigued me. Five, how to deal with judgmental people in the workplace. These are all on the front page when you Google it. One of my personal favorites, number six, are you a judgy McJudgerson? <laughs> And, and how to tell. It had like a whole list of like, do you do this? Do you do that? I, I could probably read it off. I'm not going to. 
Number seven, again, all I googled was judgmental. Number seven broke my heart a little bit. It was this. Is judgmentalism killing the church in America? Front page. So it seems like, from this quick search, that, that our culture is at least aware of, of this judgmental nature within uh, humanity, whether you kind of place that into a Christian circle or not. It seems to be an awareness, and there seems to be also an awareness that this is not right. This is not the way that we should be. This is not the best way to interact uh, with others around us. So the question is, have you judged anyone lately? I don't know about you, but on the way here, God likes to do this. <laughs> There's this car that, he was right on my tail. I'm already assuming it's a guy. I don't know. This guy was right on my tail. I was going the speed limit, respectively, through town. Right on my tail. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and in my, I don't know, something from my own upbringing, something, something from deep inside of me saw that, that it was a very nice car. Uh, it was a nice brand. I don't want to say which one it is. Hopefully it wasn't one of you. Uh, and, and it was right on my tail, so close. And instantly I knew everything I needed to know about that person. We just do it. You know, in my brain, I connected all these things. I, I had their whole life story. Uh, I could judge them left and right. I could judge them up and down. Um, and I don't think I'm alone, right? It's just all over. It's just it's something inside of us digs up. Like I said, maybe it's, maybe it's from my own upbringing, very, you know, working class kind of family. And then all of a sudden, I, I saw him, this nice car, and he's right on my tail. And, and it was just like I knew, I knew it all. I knew exactly who this was, um, and I didn't recognize the car from the parking lot, so uh, it's just someone else, but, but there's just something deep inside of us that, that, that we do this. We're living in this world that, that interacts in this way. If you don't think it's you, I, I saw this quote, it said, if you don't think you're judgmental, just think about how you feel about judgmental people. <laughs> and you realize how judgmental you are, right? I actually heard this. This is a real quote. Uh, again, not from one of you. <laughs> but, but I heard someone say once, uh, they said, I just hate judgy people like her. They're all so terrible. <laughs> but there's something inside of us. There's, it, just, uh, it just gets at us. But yet, I, I love this text in Matthew 7 here, because Jesus knows this. Here, Jesus is drawing together this community of people, and it's going to be complex, and it's going to be hard, and they're going to need to lean on each other, and they're going to need to learn from each other, but yet it's not going to be easy. There's not going to be this sense of like, oh, I just put together all these people, and I'm their savior, uh, and therefore it will be simple. So this, this is a beautiful text right from Jesus, and I feel like it goes right to the church. I feel like it goes right to me, but I feel like it speaks so much to the church that it's just like, this is not going to be easy. And, and maybe it sounds funny, but I take comfort in Jesus knowing that. I take comfort in looking at this and Jesus going, this is, you're going to have to work on this, church. You're going to have to work on this, uh, my people, if, if you're going to live in this way and you're going to love in this way. And and of course, we get other texts. You know, didn't Jesus say that we're supposed to be people of love? 
not people of judgment. You know, John 13, 35, one of my favorite Bible verses. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. It doesn't say if you judge one another. And yet that stings a little bit. There's something a, a little bit in there that we look at it. And, and it's amazing. You know, studies have shown that in the eyes of many non-Christians, people that uh, aren't, aren't connected with Jesus, they want nothing to do with it, they don't go to church, it's just not a part of who they are, that the church is mostly known for being judgmental. And number two on the list is being hypocrites. That stings a little bit, right? And, and what, what saddens me the most is I think they probably know church people. There's a part of that that want, that it's like in my mind, I want to go to this place and say, well, then they don't know very many Christians, right? I almost like write off their experience by saying, well, they don't know Christians because Christians love people. I think they know Christians. I think, they, I think they know people, but yet they feel this judgment side. They feel this, this hypocrite this side, the side that says, live your life you know, this way, and then they're not living their life that way. Um, and it, it's heartbreaking. And, and the part that's the most heartbreaking is I, I'm inside the equation. I'm not like outside of it, like looking at it, being like, oh, these other Christians, how terrible are they? You know, I, I have the same person tailgating me, <laughs> and I have the same thoughts, and it's just part of who we are. So that brings us into our question from Jesus for today. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Again, here we are, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. This is right in the middle of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his followers, people that have gathered around him. And, and he's telling them that if they're going to follow him, they're going to look a little different than the culture around them, that there's this different expectation that, that somehow they're going to follow after him. And while you want to act like everyone else... Uh, if you're going to truly kind of shine the light of Christ into the world, you, you kind of need to look and act a different way. And it's going to feel unnatural. And it's going to be hard. And there's nothing about it that's easy. But again, I take so much, um, I don't know, pleasure is a weird word, but it, it just it feels good that Jesus knows that. <laughs> it feels good that Jesus knows that this is going to be difficult for us. And really, I think this boils down to a heart issue. How do we view ourselves? How do we view ourselves in relation to God? How would we view ourselves in relation to each other, in relation to, to other people, to fellow Christians? This verse, it starts off with probably one of the most famous sayings of Jesus, one of the most quotable sayings. And the reason I say that is because even non-Christians know this one. Many of them do. Verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. It's a great one to like throw in someone's face. Right? You feel judged at all, you like take this one and you just throw it at them. Um, and of course, like Jesus often does, he then goes on to elaborate further what he means as he gets further into the text. But 
But, I mean, how many of us, we've seen it, right? There's a, there's a celebrity or there's a politician and they're going through some kind of scandal and, and they're in front of the media and, and they throw some version of this uh, out there, like, like, you can't judge me, uh, only God can judge me, kind of vibe. Uh, and yet, it brings us to the question of, is this really what this text is talking about? How can we get a little deeper? How can we look at what, what is Jesus saying here? I think it's important to note that what he's not saying. It seems pretty, pretty obvious when we look at the bigger context that Jesus is not saying um, that you can't look at someone's decisions, that you can't, you can't weigh them against your own moral compass or, or somehow that God is working in you and you can't uh, say, I don't think that's the right thing to do. Sometimes that just feels like judgment, right? To, just, just look at someone's situation and kind of weigh it all and say, I don't think that's wise. That's almost certainly not what he's saying. And the reason we can say that is we just look further into chapter 7. And as we look further into chapter 7, we see Jesus teach on true and false prophets. We see Jesus teach on true and false disciples and how to discern them and how to tell uh, who's really one of his followers. We see him talk about wise and foolish builders and and building a, a house on the rock versus in the sand. These are all judgment things. In, in a lot of ways, becoming better at this is part of maturing in our faith. You know, so it's almost certainly not saying we just kind of blindly look around and we just can't understand the world around us and we just kind of, uh, if, if, we, if we ever make a decision based on something in front of us that we're somehow uh, doing that wrong or we just need to to only listen to the Holy Spirit, or, you know, some, some kind of super spiritual answer to this. But I think what he's talking about here, here, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it this way. Like if you were to put a line up here, and, and there's the person that you're looking at, and they're on this side of the line, and, and this, is, this is the sinful side of the line. Right? And we're somehow over here. We're somehow over here on the other side, and we're looking at them. We, again, we have them all figured out. We know everything about this person from, from the first time we saw them, from what they were wearing, from how they acted. Maybe they were, maybe they were just kind of awkward, and they didn't follow a, a social cue that was really obvious, and, and we have them all figured out. We know everything about them. And then we take it one step more. And here's the one step more. Now, not only are they over there and I'm over here, but you know who's over here with me? Jesus. And it's like me and Jesus, and, and of course we're on the same page. Of course Jesus has my uh, perspective. Of course Jesus has my opinion. And now we're over here and we're both looking. And, and it's like one of those movies where there's like the king and then there's that like sleazy advisor person who's like whispering in their ear. I don't know, Lord of the Rings or something, you know, and, and, and we're just like leaning over to Jesus, and we're like, can you believe what they said? Can you believe how they acted? And keep in mind, in this scenario, this is, this is a fellow believer. This is our brother in Christ. This is our sister in Christ. But yet somehow it gets twisted in our own heads, and, and we're on one side of the equation, and we're over there with Jesus, Again, the sinless side, right? 
And, and yet we're looking over there, and we got them all figured out, and we know exactly how it's going on. We know exactly what's happening in their lives. And Jesus says, just, just wait a minute here. Let, let's get this, this math equation correct on who's on what side of the line. What does it mean that this person is your brother? What does it mean that they're your sister? Well, it means you're standing next to them. There's only one person on the other side of the line. Right? It's just Jesus over there. You're not, you're not like the little advisor that's with him. You're over here with your brother and your sister, and you're looking before a sinless, perfect Jesus, but also one that loves us so much, and you're doing this life together, and, and yet you're not called to do it in isolation either. There's this weird thing in Christianity where, where people over time have kind of fooled themselves into thinking it's just about you and God. That's the whole thing. It, it's like uh, I, I heard someone talking in a, in a, a certain context, and he said it's, it's this idea that it's like me and Jesus in my pickup truck just cruising down the road. And, and maybe if you come alongside, maybe I'll let you in the cab, maybe I won't. But, like, but that's kind of my life. It's just me and Jesus, and, and we're just living in isolation. I don't need anyone else. I don't need any other believers. That is almost certainly not what Jesus is saying. He's assuming that you're living your life alongside other people. But he's also assuming that this is going to get messy, and that this is going to be hard. So we absolutely need each other, but... But let's look further. So how does Jesus explain this? Again, verse 1 uh, is real simple. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. It goes on, for, for the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Verse 3. Jesus goes on to explain. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own. This word plank here is it's the same word that they would use for like a board. This is not like a bigger piece of sawdust. It's like a two by four. There's funny cartoons of it if you look it up. Just, just think of the image that Jesus is painting. Someone has a speck in their eye and that hurts. Moral of the story, use safety glasses. But he's got the speck of sawdust in his eye, and, it, and it's hurting, and it's, it's obvious to others. Jesus never says the speck isn't there. Oh, it's there. It's in your brother's eye. And, and yet, you have this plank, this board. Sticking. It's, supposed to, it's supposed to be kind of, I think it's supposed to be kind of funny. <laughs> this image is it's almost comical. You have this board in your eye. It's not even like it's just stuck on you somewhere. It's in the very thing that you're using to look at them. And there's this board in your eye, and you're like reaching out with the tweezers, like, oh, let me help you with that. And there's a board between you, they can't even get to them. And you're like, whoa, how about you take the board out of your eye? Maybe then you can see my speck enough to, to give me a hand here. But, but there's a board between, like, this, I think it's funny. <laughs> like, there's a set, like, I think Jesus is telling us a very important thing. But, but yet he's doing it in a way that kind of disarms us a little bit. Because then it starts to hit home, and then you look at it, and it's... Uh, yeah, let me just read. 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Side note, you don't want to be a hypocrite when Jesus is talking. He doesn't say that in a flattering way to too many people. Verse 5, you hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Jesus is saying, this is, this is kind of what it's like when you're judging other people. You're blind to what's going on. Your own plank is actually making you a really poor judge in the first place. You think you're on one side of the line with Jesus, and you think you got them all figured out, but, but your own sin, your own stuff, the own, your own stuff that you're dealing with is making you not even see clearly in the first place. And, and then you think you can whisper to Jesus and tell him, how you're perceiving the situation. That's why I said, I think this is a hard issue. There's something here, there's some kind of ranking that, that we're not getting. If this is becoming a regular pattern in our lives, this is becoming kind of how we interact with other people. Uh, it, it's, very, uh, it's very alarming. And you know, what it reminded me of the most as I was looking at this, and my friend Steve, not his real name. I changed it. I'll try to remember to say Steve. If I say the wrong name at some point, just, just forget. Again, he doesn't go here either. <laughs> I knew this guy, um, and I used to be at this church in downtown Minneapolis. It was right in the urban center. Uh, it was where I did my seminary internship time. And part of being in an urban center is you just get different kind of more urban issues, if you will. And of course, these are all over also. But uh, one of the things the church was really blessed to be able to do was there was a 50-bed uh, Salvation Army overflow homeless shelter uh, in the church's basement. And uh, it was wonderful to be able to volunteer and help people. And that was, it was open uh, all winter long. Now, it may be surprising, but homelessness is a huge problem in Minneapolis, uh, even though it's crazy cold, and it's worse in the winter than it is in the summer. And the reason it's worse in the winter is because uh, a lot of people have some connections, and they can kind of live in what's called like temporary bedrooms during the summer months when the weather's nice. Maybe they're on a porch, or maybe, maybe it's even like a three-season porch, but it's not insulated. And, and these other rooms that functionally exist in the city become rooms that you can't live in when the weather's too cold. Stay up. Uh, in the winter months. So this church had this, this shelter there. And one of the, the people that would volunteer, and he was actually connected with the church from a lot farther back, used to be homeless. And he was homeless for about 15 years. Uh, his name was Steve. And uh, I met him sometime before, but just to help paint the picture, he has, he has longer, uh, not, not very well-kept hair, uh, few teeth. Uh, he, he was homeless for 15 years, and, and there's a part of that where that is not something that, that now that you're living in an apartment or something, all of a sudden um, everything's like fixed. You know, there's, there's a lot going on. So there's uh, even things like hygiene 
things that, for lack of a better way of saying it, he, he still, even though he had been out of that for a long time, very much would appear to be homeless if you were to interact with him. Lovely man, servant heart, such a core part of the church that he has a key to the building. I mean, he comes in, he helps clean, he helps do whatever, but he's, he's trusted and he's loved well at this church. So I was at this church for a few years. Then I was blessed to be able to go to this, this other church in rural Minnesota. It was about a two-hour drive away, and it was a bigger church. I was doing youth ministry stuff, and uh, there, was, there was a number of, of kids in the youth program. So in ninth grade, we would take students, and we would take them uh, on a little trip, just the ninth graders. Uh, and it was a bigger church, so there was 30 of them. So just imagine 30 ninth graders. You already like having a little... Oh, my. <laughs> and, and we'd get together whatever parents or whatever chaperones would come. And, and because I had this connection to this church in Minneapolis, we actually would take the ninth graders from this town, and we would go to the church that I used to be at. Uh, and we would sleep there, and it wasn't while the shelter was during the summer months, so it wasn't while the shelter was open. And we would uh, clean and kind of help them prepare uh, for the months where the homeless shelter is going to open. So we'd help get it all ready so that it was really nice when it would open. And I, I remember as clear as day, I was, I was in one of the hallways, it was a great big church, in one of the hallways, and three of the adult chaperones came up to me, and their eyes were just huge. And they actually looked like scared out of their wits kind of look. And, and they come up to me, and they're, and they're really afraid, and they're like, there's this guy, and he's in the church foyer. And, and we just, I don't remember how they said it, but basically they were terrified of this guy in the church foyer. Could have been any number of people, but I thought it was probably Steve. Judgment, I don't know. I was correct, it was Steve. So I came down there, and here he was. He was interacting with the ninth graders. Now, now if you knew Steve well you would be able to look past his physical appearance, past all this stuff, and you would know that Steve, uh, the, the way he came out of homelessness was through working with YouthWorks mission trips, uh, which is headquartered in Minneapolis, and he worked for them at, at like the national level. And, and he was excellent with teenagers. He was so good with them, and he was really practical, and he was awesome, and he was... Um, he was just great, and he did it for years and years, and he was just a wonderful man and, and selfless and giving and caring and just a top-notch church volunteer. Like I said, he had keys. Why is Steve in the church foyer? Because it's his church. <laughs> He's there, and we're the guests. You know, like, we're in his church, right? He, he showed up early that day to say hi to us. He knew that there was a youth group that was coming. And, and he wanted to meet them, and he wanted to love them. And, and not to say too much about the volunteers, but just to back up a couple years. I remember the first time I met him. And the first time I met him, I totally judged him. I was in this setting, I was in this church, and, and it was before worship service, and, and he was in there. And I, I saw him from across the room, I ended up interacting with him, and I I. I thought I knew this guy based on how he looked, 
based on how he acted, based on everything going on. Again, he had been working with youth works for years by this point. I should have sat at his feet and learned how to do youth ministry better. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he was excellent, but, but I had him totally figured out. My brother in Christ, I had him totally figured out. Again, the reason I bring this up, I, I don't think I'm alone here. And, and yet, we're not supposed to just kind of walk around our world, and again, we're supposed to be wise. I mean, we're told in, in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount that we're supposed to be wise and we're supposed to be discerning. But the question is, did, did I see this guy at my church and think I was over here on this side of the line with my arm around him doing this Christian journey together? And the answer is no, I did not. Or did I put myself on the wrong side? That's the dangerous part, right? Did I put myself on the wrong side and look at him and, and think I knew all of what I needed to do and ignore entirely the plank in my own eye that was, that was impairing my own vision, that was impairing my own ability to look at him. I really like this passage in Scripture, and, and again, the reason I like it it just feels really real. It feels like th this is a thing that's going to happen in our Christian walks. This is a thing that's going to happen in the church. You're going to have a hard time interacting with each other. Not just this church, the whole church. I mean, we, are, we can be so nasty to people that have different opinions about how they worship or, or, or different theological opinions. Christians can be the worst and again, you just a Google search, and, and one of the top ones is it's judgmentalism killing the church in America. That hurts. And I think a lot, of, a lot of it, really, is that we need to be able to do this serious level of self-reflection, this serious level of self-examination before we enter into these kind of relationships. It, it, it doesn't even say in the scripture that the guy doesn't have the, the, the sawdust in his eye. He does. But it's the plank. That's the issue. And, and we need to be able to look at ourselves. And, and there's this part in so many of us where we become blind to our own issues and hyper-aware of other people's. So we're so aware of what other people have going on, and then, and then we're just blind to what's going on in our own lives. Again, it's this human condition. It doesn't mean you're bad. Like it just means you're a human. It means you're, you're in desperate need of a Savior. Well, good news, you have one. It's Jesus Christ. So don't beat yourself up about it. But, but we also need to be intentional about how we interact with people. There's this quote from uh, this book I've been reading called The Deeply Formed Life. I'll just read the quote for you here. It's talking about this idea. It says, the world is in desperate need of people willing to examine their own selves before examining others. The work of other examination comes all too naturally. We are accustomed to viewing, to judging, and comparing others rather than ourselves. That's easy. 
The way of self-examination is hard. But by God's grace and the Spirit's help, we can get there. The first three quarters of that seems really hard. <laughs> that last line make, makes it so, so good, right? By God's grace and by the Spirit's help, we can get there. John 13, 35 by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. They'll know we are Christians by our love. They'll know who Jesus is by, by how we love one another. It doesn't say that they'll know that you are my disciples by your judgmental attitude. Or they'll know you are my disciples, even to change it a little bit, by, by your immaculate reputations out in the community. That's not in there. It doesn't say they're going to know that you're Christians by how great everyone thinks about you and how well everyone talks about you and how, how you're such a good business person or, or you're just such a good neighbor or your perfect theology that you have it all figured out, that you took every little piece and, and that you know it all. It's all in your head. You got it right. It doesn't say that they know that you are my disciples by your eloquent speech, by your ability to really just communicate well what you think and what you believe, or even, or even for your thirst and your zeal for who God is, that you just strive after him with all of who you are. Those are great things. But it says they'll know we are Christians by our love for one another. Love that can only come from a person who has been forgiven. Love that can only come from a person who has received the grace of God. From a person that, that has been forgiven of so much that they're able to love others well. So that's my challenge to us all, I guess. <laughs> Some of these questions Jesus asked are, are a little easier questions. <laughs> Again, why are you afraid? Why do you worry? Like, yes, yes, those are important. Those are, those are big, important things. But, but Jesus also says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust? And I, I think the only answer is, is we shouldn't. <laughs> We need to focus on the plank. <laughs>